You are listening to Pangea Cast, the digital voice of Pangea Church in Seattle, Washington. We are a church that follows in the way of Jesus to inspire others in the way of love. Visit us in person on Sundays or online at seattlepangea.com. And we are in the middle of a series, so if you haven't been here over the last month or so, um, I'm going to do my best to catch you up. We've called this series Vivid because the idea is that a lot of us come to Jesus with lots of stuff. And just like I wear corrective lenses so that I can drive at night and feel comfortable because now things are a little sharper, um, many of us, we, we probably need some corrective lenses. And it's not because of anything necessarily that we've done as much as we've really are, are people who have been conditioned to see God, to see the world in certain kinds of ways. And in the first week, we, we talked about that specifically, like there is this need to declutter Jesus. You know, the Bible in Hebrew says that we're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus, but one of the challenges we face is that we often don't know what we're actually fixing our eyes on. We, we actually don't know who we're fixing our eyes on. And, and if that is the case for a lot of us, a lot of times what we see in culture, what we see in the church, is that when someone steps away from the Jesus story, when someone steps away from Jesus, we ought to be asking the very specific question, which version of Jesus is it exactly that they are stepping away from? Because so many of us grow up with this Jesus who is a rule giver, who is a legalist, who is a, you should be like this, and if you're not like this, you're out of the club, and, and, and it just doesn't fit who we see in the New Testament. And so we, we talked about how our world influences us, we talked about how our communities influence us, our church background influences us, the structures we have in this world influence us. Right? And all of these are, are partnering with these forces of, well, I, I would call them forces of evil in the world that are bent on giving us a false or slightly out of focus picture of who Jesus actually is. And what ends up happening if you grew up in Christianity is that you either say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and just adopt this picture. And, and for some people, that's fine. And, and maybe they just kind of just go on with their regular lives. And, and yes, I'm a Christian. I go to church every Sunday. I have a small group Bible study where we take the Bible and we fill in these bubbles and we know all the right information, at least the kind of information we've been conditioned to know. And people are content and that's fine. And I know a lot of wonderful Christian people for whom that's what they do. And, 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 then, and then some of us are like, ah, I want something more than that. Like, I want something more than fill-in-the-blank Christianity. I want something more than a, a, a slightly anglicized, westernized Jesus. I, I want something real. And in the process, we, we start to ask hard questions. And, and, and as you're asking these questions, you may be thinking to yourself, okay, so, so I am I'm sitting here, I... I I don't even know if I can believe in Jesus because if I were to believe in Jesus, the only Jesus I've ever seen is this one I I don't think is real. But yet I I have these friends in my life and I have this community around me that, that seems to think, seems to experience this other picture of Jesus. And a lot of us get stuck there. 
So maybe one option we can say is the contentment option. And maybe its shadow side is maybe compromise. Maybe the other kind of option I'm talking about is the confusion, therefore, I can't even picture it option. That's not really a very concise way of saying that, I realize. But, but you get the idea, right? And so, so what we've been trying to do is sort of say, what if our picture of Jesus could become more vivid? I think I opened this series by talking about my dad. My dad is colorblind. I don't know if anyone in here is colorblind in any way. My dad is the colorblind uh, that, that literally just sees gray tones. So it's like the worst kind of colorblind you can be. And so um, I, I grew up with his kind of like, what color is that? What color is that? Remember, I, I shared this uh, the first week we got together. And, and, and sometimes when we look at the, the Christian story, it's, it's monotone, it's gray tone, and we can't really see all of the beauty that lies beneath the set of lenses that we've been handed. And so this morning, what, what I want to do is I want to move us from talking about the forces that shape our stories about Jesus to, to maybe in week two when we talked about the relationships we were designed for. We talked about shalom. Remember this fancy word for peace, wholeness, restoration? And then last week we said to get to a place where we can experience Jesus more vividly is often a work of the imagination. That the imagination isn't a fake space, but it's actually, for some of us, the most real reality that we can actually attune ourselves to. That everything around us always will have a layer of deception. But it's in the imagination that we move beyond what we see into spaces where God can meet us and shape and curate our imagination in a very beautiful, more vivid way. And so as we move from imagination, what I want to do today is, is I want to just say something about Jesus that um, can be read in many ways. So I want to unpack it before we jump too far into it. But I, I believe that Jesus desires that our belief in him will develop into a friendship with him. That our belief in him will develop into a friendship. Now, here, here's where this gets a little interesting this morning. Some of you aren't even sure about the belief in him part. And, and I want to just honor that space. Right, so like, like what we're not going to do here, what we would never do at our church is say, if you're not sure about the belief part, you have nothing to offer our community, for instance. Or, or if you're not sure about the belief part, then your life doesn't have meaning or something. That's silly, right? I know very, <laughs> I know a lot of people who don't know that Jesus is like real, like still real. Like he was back in the day real, but is he still real? You know what I mean? Like not in a tomb somewhere. And, and I know a lot of people who aren't sure about that question who are fabulous human beings. Some of us bought the lie that you needed Jesus to be a good person. Or, or we got the inverse, right? You can be a good person, but you're still going to hell. Come on. Like, like, what, like what set of lenses do we have to wear to be blind to the fact that without Jesus, you can have a satisfying life, you can have a good life, you can be an awesome human being, you can do some things that I'm never going to accomplish, most of the people in this room may never accomplish. And so if belief is the thing that you're still wrestling with, be real about it, be honest about it, you're, we like you. And by the way, my sincere belief is that Jesus likes you, even if you don't know that yet. 
And then there's some of us who we are stuck in the space of belief because experiential faith is hard for whatever reason. So you are all in on Christianity. You are all in, like, yes, the New Testament basically tells the story of what happened in the first century. And you're all in on that. And, and you're like, you know what? I want to derive my values. I'm going to derive my principles for living from the New Testament. And once in a while, I pray and I think God is hearing me. And once in a while, I, I have these moments with people and it's like a special thing is happening. But for the most part, perhaps, faith is more of a belief system than an experience of Jesus himself. And what I want to say to you is that we love you, we honor you, don't feel shame about that. That's part of the journey as well. And some of us are actually wired to where we can experience Jesus through our beliefs. And and that's a good thing. So, So don't hear, like, belief in Jesus Baby stage, you know, experience of Jesus, grown-up stage. Like, don't hear any, like, all of that stuff. Like, we are not here to play those stupid games. Every human being is on their own journey. You have your own stuff that you've come to Christianity or come into this building with, and we do not have any authority to say to you, your journey needs to look like my journey. Your journey needs to speed up a little bit. That'd be silly. That's like telling a, a baby that's crawling and not quite walking yet. You know, they're like six months old and they're crawling. Hey, kid, stand up. It's time to walk on your own two feet. That's what I try to do with Lydia. Let me tell you, it didn't work, okay? I was just like, it, it just doesn't work. Yeah. And so, so what, I, what I want us to just understand is like, like when we're talking about this stuff, we are not judging the stage of our spiritual development. We're simply saying, what if there was another step that you could take and what would it do? And maybe decluttering our view of Jesus, going from monotone color or monotone lack of color to actual color to actual spectrum of light. What if that would do something for you. In fact, I believe that knowing Jesus doesn't just do something for you. It empowers you in a way that you've never been empowered before. Here's a conviction of mine. I think that the nicest, most awesome, beautiful human being on the planet that doesn't know Jesus looks a lot better than a lot of Christians. I'll grant that. But what if that same person had the added resources of the God of the universe being for them and with them and on their daily journey? Like, think of the most amazing non-Christian person you could think of in history. You're like, oh my gosh, he did so much for this cause. Then, what if Jesus was with them in a way that they knew Jesus was with them. What would that have done for that person? You see, the Christian story is about empowering a new kind of humanity. The Christian story is about empowering a different kind of human being. And so often, 
We've been told the lie that Christianity is about believing the right thing so you go to the right place when you die because, of course, that's what you're here for. It's like, it's like God just threw us all in here and said, okay, good luck. That, that doesn't sound like good news to me. You know what sounds like good news to me? You are a human image bearer. We all have our stuff. Like we talked about, we all have our shame. We all have our fig leaves we often want to cover up with. And yet, all of us have the opportunity to not just be known by Jesus. Because let me tell you something. Jesus knows everybody. That there, there's no problem there. Like Jesus knows you perfectly well, even if you don't know Jesus that well. But there is a beautiful opportunity for us to come to know Jesus. And so what I want to talk about is that journey a little bit this morning. I was thinking about my kid yesterday. I um, got to have a daddy-daughter day yesterday. And I, I love these, by the way. These are things that I just, for me, are, are some of the most like fun, exciting days, especially when she doesn't cry all day. I don't know, I'll just be honest. <laughs> right, like, you know, the kid's like crying, all right, this is the worst thing ever. Why am I, Lauren, you know, like, Why'd you subject me to this horrible day, right? She's like, Kurt, no, get over it, right? But, but like, 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 like yesterday, it was just so fun. You know, we started the day by going to our favorite breakfast place, Pete Egg, Pete's Egg Nest, right? And had some pancakes and had my beautiful omelet. And then we went to the bouncy house place. There's this place in Magnuson Park where you can pay 10 bucks and you can just bounce your way all over the place. It's amazing. And they let dads go on sometimes. It's pretty cool. Go down these slides, and oh, it's so fun. And so she wanted to go to the bouncy house place. And then after that, we're like, okay, so how about a movie, right? And so, so after that, we went to a movie, and we, we um, got to go watch Paddington 2, which I hadn't seen Paddington 1, but Paddington 2 is great, so I assume the first one's worth watching. It's on Netflix. Go for it. Okay, so, so like, and we, we just kind of had this great day. We ended the day by grabbing Chipotle, going home, and of course, we had like an hour until bedtime when she asked me, Daddy, can I please watch Let It Go? And I said, that's way after your bedtime, but sure, why not? Okay, and she watched her movie, took a shower and went to bed, and I thought to myself, this is a good day. And in fact, I, I thought to myself, I, I feel like I'm increasingly becoming a friend to my child. When Lydia was born, I, I really felt a little odd, to be honest. I'm told guys go through this, not all guys, but some guys go through this when you have a child. Uh, I, I was like, you know, I don't have the right equipment to be very much a nurturer, you know? Like, I'm just not. That's, that's the reality, right? So, so I'm not holding my infant very often like that. Um, and, and, and there's this, this thing that happens in a lot of men um, when they have kids that it's really hard to connect with your infant. It's very, I never thought that would be me, right? I always thought, oh, baby is born. Whoa! Right? And there was that. There was that, right? But it was like, baby was born. Whoa! I've got lots of things to do. Hi, baby. What do you do? You know? It's like Teddy Ruxpin talks more than you or whatever, right? Like, like, what do I do with this creature? And I remember like three months in, we were getting ready to move to Seattle. 
And there was this moment I was carrying her to the car. We were in Tulare, and uh, Tulare is a place you've never been, but it's the best when it's not dusty. It was very dusty this day, I remember. And we'd had really good salads, and, and we were walking to the car, and I, I don't know what happened, but in that moment, I just had this sense of joy for this kid. I remember going, woo, you know, swinging her a little bit. And, and it just started, you know what I mean? And then there were all these other moments that sort of came, and, and there were times when it's like, oh, I still don't know how to connect. I still don't get it. I still don't know exactly how to be dad here. And of course, in fantasy land, you just start thinking, man, I can't wait until she has intellectual questions to ask me when she's like eight. You know? <laughs> Come on. Don't wait till your kid's eight to be their dad, you know? But what I've found over time is that the more um, I see my daughter and the more I, like, I, I, I just notice who she is and who God has made her to be, the more the space is opened up within me to imagine a world that only exists if she's with me in it. I wonder if following Jesus is something sort of like that. I wonder if friendship with Jesus feels like that to anybody. Like, you're like, I don't know what to do with this th person, maybe, right? Like, I, I don't know what to do with this Jesus thing. And once in a while, you have these, like, glimpses of, oh, this was awesome. I can't believe, my life has changed. And then the next day, you're like, how did that thing happen again, you know? There were moments in my journey where, like, I'd be driving. I'm not with anybody. I'm just driving around, and I have these doubts that I'm even a dad. You know, not because it's shame, but I'm like, am I really 30 years old and have a kid? You know, <laughs> some of you are going to hit this, and it's going to really mess with your brain a little bit, right? right? When I turned the age of Jesus, I shared this a while back, right? When I was 33, I was like, wow, this is the year Jesus got off. Is this real? You know, like, and, and now I'm 34, and, and um, I'm like, oh, I outlived Jesus. The other day, I was just praying, and I was like, hey, Jesus, you know what? Um, I kind of outlived you, bro. And uh, I had this sense that Jesus said, dude, seriously? Like, do you know what? Anyway, it was just really funny. Anyway, I thought it was funny. And um, like, like, it's just like, oh, how do I get back to that thing? And ever increasingly, the means of communicating open up. It started with Lydia with a smile and the ability to kind of roll and all these things start to happen. As those stages of development happen, it opens up the relationship in ways I never would have understood in that moment when I was like, I don't even know what, I don't even know how to take care of a child. Like, I just think to myself, man, Following Jesus is a lot like that. Friendship with Jesus is a lot like that. But you know what? I don't wonder as much as I used to if I'm actually a dad. I'm pretty sure I am. Also getting gray hairs. Don't tell anyone. Also probably balding, but I'm told that that's just in my head. Okay. It's not. It's not. I've seen the selfies. But what I do know is this, that the day that I had yesterday with Lydia is profoundly more connected than those days behind us.
And I hope and pray that that continues on. There's no guarantee because this is a two-party relationship. Now, here's what's beautiful about friendship with Jesus. Jesus is always pursuing beautiful friendship with you. We don't always have that opportunity with other people, right? The double pursuit is a very scary thing with human beings because we all have shame. We all have things we bring to those relationships. But with Jesus, we can always know that Jesus is always perfectly in pursuit of us. And so as we move forward, as we continue this relationship, we can find ourselves finding more confidence, more assurance, more of that reality that God really wants to be our friend. So I want to jump into the Bible, because we do that sometimes here. Not very often, right? Like, why would we? Yeah. But today we're going to jump into that Bible, and... um, I, I want to just share like, like this passage in the scriptures that has always just caught me, kind of captured my imagination a little bit because I always think to myself like all those people in the first century, they had it so good. Like mo- a lot of them got to see Jesus, like walk around and Jesus is like, yeah, what's up? What's up, right? Oh, you have a, a leg that don't work? Boo, right? Like I just kind of have this weird picture of Jesus just like making stuff happen. And, and if I'm an eyewitness of that, it's like I don't even have to try to believe in Jesus. I don't even have to try to believe this stuff because, because apparently like right in front of my face, this cool stuff was happening. But oddly enough, when you read the New Testament, what you find is that people are doubting all the time. Eyewitnesses still doubt. So if you have doubts 2,000 years later about a guy who's in a tradition called Christianity and who's in a book called the Bible, congratulations. You're probably more spiritual mature, spiritually mature than most of the people who actually saw him. Good job. I'm here. I'm not even joking. Like, what a crazy idea. And so this story that I'm going to read it comes out of Luke's gospel. This is Luke chapter 24. And what's happened right before this is Luke has, or Luke, not Luke, Jesus. Jesus is no longer in the ground, no longer in the grave. But people are confounded by this. And, and so there's some disciples of Jesus walking down the road. They've heard these rumors, but aren't sure if they're real. And this is what happens. In verse 13, it says, On that same day, two disciples were traveling to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. While they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and joined them on their journey. They were prevented from recognizing him. Can you imagine, like, like I, I read this and I'm like, this is like good stuff. Like, this is really creative, Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, like you're resurrected and you can walk alongside of people and they don't even notice it's you. And these are people that have been hanging out with you for a while, right? And he said to them, what are you talking about as you walk along? They stopped, their faces downcast. The one named Cleopas replied, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who is unaware of the things that have taken place over the last few days? He said to them, What things? They said to him, 
the things about Jesus of Nazareth. Because of his powerful deeds and words, he was recognized by God and all the people as a prophet. But our chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We'd hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. All these things happened three days ago, but there's more. Some women from our group have left us stunned. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. They came to us saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who told them he is alive. Can I just say something about this situation 2,000 years ago? First of all, women are not credible witnesses. You maybe have heard this in the church before, right? Like, so in, in the ancient world, women do not have the status of being able to tell things that are true. Very weird, right? Um, so they're not credible witnesses. But, but what's even more wild is you, you can almost sense in this story already, like on the one hand, they're like, they're women and they're telling us this stuff, so we're not really sure. But on the other hand, they're kind of like, wow, we've been influenced by Jesus and he's like cool with women, you know? And so it's like this weird kind of ambiguity. And so they go on and they have to, of course, mansplain it a little bit, but that's okay. You know, it's 2,000 years ago, we're all growing up. But here's what happens. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women said. So, so, Thanks, women. We're going to, like, make sure, you know. So, so I, I thought that was pretty funny. I don't know. Maybe it's terrible, but it is what it is. And, and they didn't see him. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. Your dull minds keep you from believing all that the prophets talked about. Do you have any friend in your life that you can actually say, hey, dummy? <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's not like, I'm going to insult you and shame you by calling you dummy. It's actually sincere, like, hey, like, do you get it? You know what I mean? I think that's kind of what Jesus is doing here. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then he interpreted for them the things written about himself in all the scriptures, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets. When they came to Emmaus, he acted as if he was going on ahead. But they urged him, saying, stay with us. It's nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. After he took his seat at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. Ah. There's so many things here that if we wanted to nerd out, we could, right? So I'll just like give you like a glimpse of it, right? So the early church comes to believe that when bread is broken, somehow mysteriously Jesus is present, right? And so this is actually... Um, in some ways, a text about what we're going to do later, communion. But then the, the other like mind-boggling thing here is, as soon as they actually recognize him, he's gone. Boo! Which apparently you can do after you've been resurrected from the dead. So that'll be cool. They said to each other, weren't our hearts on fire? as he spoke to us along the road when he explained the scriptures for us. 
Oh, you know, it's so interesting to me that I think that there have been many moments in my journey trying to figure out what it means to be a person in friendship with Jesus that I don't even know it's Jesus a lot of the time. Like, I don't even notice it. Like, I, I'll have this moment where something just profoundly lights up within me. Like that. <laughs> Look, Jesus probably d- texted you. And I'm just saying, it's like, hey, this one, this cell phone makes a good sound. And Kurt's about to have like an epiphany moment. <laughs> right? But you totally ruined my sermon because I have no idea where I'm going now. <laughs> That one thing about God and stuff. Okay, yeah, so, so but those moments where, where Jesus, like, like, just lights me up inside. Like, and I don't even notice it's Jesus. I don't even notice what's going on. And, 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 and it's just crazy. Then I'll go back and be like, what an odd, cool moment I had today. And I'll be like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe Jesus was in that. And then sometimes I get the sense, oh, yeah. You see, there's things that happen throughout our day, throughout our lives, that if we, if we could attune ourselves to this beautiful reality that Jesus decluttered from all of our baggage, decluttered from all the shame, wants to just light you up inside sometimes, wants to give you that energy for life, wants to show you how beautiful and wonderfully made you actually are. Some of you are artists. When's the last time you just had this epiphany moment and you had to create something? What if you had a friend who was nudging you along? And what if in that nudge you actually noticed something? Hey, this is a, this is a double party action here. This is like, like I'm creating, but I'm being inspired by something beyond myself. What if Jesus is there? You know, maybe there's moments along the way when you're just full of doubt and despair because in this passage, they're they are despairing. They don't know what to think anymore. They had followed Jesus. They had thought Jesus was the man. They, they thought all the things that were supposed to happen were gonna happen and then all the things that weren't supposed to happen actually happened and they're thinking to themselves, why should we even like continue trying this whole thing about God? Why should we continue even at this thing called life? Like why in the world would something so good become something so despairing in such a short time? Maybe you've walked through an event that derailed your faith. And, and, and some of us like go through these events and they don't derail our like abstract belief in a God. Although for some people, that's where it goes. But they can derail the sense that I want to connect with Jesus. I want to trust Jesus because in those moments, we're often tempted to say, okay, so if, if it was good and then it became bad, clearly something got mixed into the equation and Jesus wasn't there to sort it out for me. You ever felt like that? You see, it, every walk of life, we're going to have moments, we have moments, it better? Oh, yeah. My ear. 
I'm pretty sure my ears like changing. You know what they say? At your what in the world? This never happens. Better? Track in. Fox goes outside of shirt. Okay. You know what they say about the ear and the nose, right? That they keep growing. I'm pretty sure I'm having that problem because this stopped fitting my ear like a, a month ago. It's really weird. All I want to say is that for a lot of us, recognizing Jesus as a companion is really hard. It's really hard. Doesn't matter what part of our journey we're on disappointing moments, exciting, energetic moments, actually attuning our imagination to the reality that is Jesus is really hard. And the painful part for a lot of us is that we've seen people who claim to be very attuned to Jesus that do a lot of things that don't feel like Jesus. That's the hardest part of this, I think. I think if we had people who claim to follow Jesus, claim to know Jesus, that weren't doing weird, corruptible stuff, weren't harming other human beings through their words and actions, doubt wouldn't be as hard. You know what I mean? Like, like, like if every person who claimed to be a sincere follower of Jesus, a sincere friend of Jesus, when they said something prophetic, it actually happened and it was good for the world. When they said something about politics, it wasn't... That one person who's the son of a very famous evangelist who I actually respect, it's not, you get what I'm saying, right? Like if we didn't have all these people saying all this stuff that doesn't look like Jesus from people who claim to follow Jesus, when we have doubts about Jesus, it wouldn't be that hard, at least as hard as it is. Because some of us get caught up in, but they claim to follow Jesus, they claim to know Jesus, they claim to understand Jesus, and look at their lives. They did A, B, and C. So how can I even trust in the midst of my doubt that Jesus is actually here? Oh, yeah. That makes sense. And what we've been trying to say is, I, I think this is one of the challenges, is that we give too much power to voices that don't look like Jesus and so little authority to people who actually do look like Jesus to spur us on. And part of decluttering is having to sort through all of that mess, isn't it? And even if that's not a challenge for you, even if you can say, yeah, I know they love Jesus. They have a really weird worldview, and they're wrong in these areas. And I, I feel like my worldview about Jesus is maybe a little better. Even when we have that kind of a perspective. Oh, man. Following Jesus and knowing that it's Jesus is really hard. These guys had to have Jesus do a miraculous eating and breaking of bread and disappear before they actually realized that Jesus was in the room with them. And we only get the version of Jesus that seems to be disappeared, don't we? Unless you're one of those few people who gets a really cool vision. And if you are, I want to be your friend. I want to be your friend anyway, but you get it. And so... I want to just name that as reality. But I want, to, I want to, like, continue thinking about this a little bit because I think that friendship with Jesus requires the increasing liberation of our imagination. If you were here last week, you, you may remember that 
many of the things that hold us back from connecting to God, and, and by the way, many of the things that hold us back from connecting to our own selves and to the network of selves that we call a community. Those storylines have locked down our, our capacity for imagination, so much so that it would be really hard to even recognize Jesus if he were right in front of us. We saw him executed three days ago. There's no way Jesus is traveling down the road with us. Their imaginations had been shaped by a very traumatic event. It makes perfect sense. It's not shameful that they didn't notice him. It's just how it goes sometimes. But I would venture to say this. After seeing Jesus do the disappearing act, their imagination was liberated for new possibilities that have broken into the world. What are those new possibilities that you see breaking through in your life right now? The world as it is isn't the world as it will be. That's what we talk about all the time here. Because we believe that with increasing imagination amongst a corporate community of people, that God actually wants to do beautiful works of healing and justice and mercy in this world through us. The challenge is unlocking our imaginations ever increasingly so as the fig leaf of shame becomes smaller and smaller so that we can actually see and notice. But when we do, you'll go from one sense of self to another sense of self. You know, one of the problems that we have is obviously our picture of Jesus the other challenge that we have is that we, we don't know ourselves as well as God knows us. And so part of the journey is utilizing all of the resources available to you, all of the possibilities in front of you for actually becoming more and more self-aware as you seek to become God-aware. And I believe it's the liberation of our imagination that creates the space for those kinds of possibilities. And you know what? Am ambiguity is central to, the, to growing as a companion of Jesus. And this is probably, for some of you, like not a big deal. You're very good. Like, you're irrational. Let's just say it, <laughs> right? Like, you're just not that rational, um, right? And, and I'm, I'm one of those. I'm very irrational. Um, I like to think about things, but I'm driven by my irrationality, not my rationality. Does that make any sense to some, some of you? Like, you're like, I'm not... You know, I'm not against learning, but I'm driven not by everything has to have order and everything has to be, like, make sense mechanically. In fact, you do not want me working on your car. You do not want me working on your house. You do not want me working on anything that involves me doing anything helpful. I'm telling you the truth, right? Because, because it's just not my M.O. But if you want to talk about irrational possibilities in the world, just come talk to me, man. We'll have some wine. We'll have some beer. Well, man, it'll be good times, Right? But that's just not like my deal, you know? And then some of you are very, very, very rational and ambiguity feels very strange to you. Both types of people will have their own challenges when it comes to following Jesus. And so we have to just kind of embrace the reality that mystery is central to what it means to discover this vivid experience of God. 
And as I've already alluded to, I, I really believe this, that noticing Jesus changes everything. Noticing Jesus changes everything. Where do you notice Jesus in this building besides the barely not white Jesus behind me, right? Where do you notice Jesus among us? Where do you notice Jesus when you're at lunch, when you're at work, when you're playing with your family and your kids, when you're whatever you're going to be doing today? Watching the big game? Yeah. Except the Seahawks aren't in there, so it's not that exciting. But you, you know what I'm saying? Noticing Jesus is part of that opening up space, that unlocking of the imagination. And noticing something for the first time is one of the most beautiful, powerful experiences that I think we can go through. You know, there's this video of a guy who um, is colorblind. And there's these glasses called chroma glasses that apparently can correct that. I just want to show you just a little bit of this clip. I, I thought it was so beautiful, and it illustrates so much of this transition from a, a very cluttered and hard-to-see Jesus to a more vivid, beautiful Jesus. Check this out. Is it really different? Oh. There's just flowers we got for him. Oh, they're all planted? No, we just put them there because oh. it's winter. <laughs> Look at your kid's eyes, Katie. They're so pretty. <laughs> Her coat is very purple. <laughs> and coarse coat. <laughs> It's a new world. The kids' eyes thing jacks me up. I don't know what it's like to not see color, but I know what it's like to want to believe that there is a good Jesus out there and then to be surprised by him experientially, relationally. My prayer for us is that just like putting on a new set of glasses, it can be scary and overwhelming. Did you notice he had to take them off sometimes and kind of refocus and regroup? That, that's normal. That's good. That's okay. It's disorienting. And you may even have seasons where you're like, I can't handle this right now. <laughs> and you got to put them to the side. But Jesus will always be there in vivid color saying, come to me, be my friend, be with me. I know you and I want you to know me. That is the beauty of Christianity. That is the beauty that Jesus wants to unlock within us. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. Jesus wants you to see.